And tonight we are on the topic of a biblical worldview on patriotism. So I will, I will let you know up front, I expect for probably many of you to not agree with me tonight. What I would ask is that in the moments where you're going, hmm, and you're just like biting your tongue because what you want to do is maybe even say something out loud. What I, what I would ask is that you would search your heart in the matters that we'll discuss tonight in all the branches of patriotism. And you would ask yourself, is your frustration, maybe with what I'm saying, is it based on the Bible or is it based on your own comforts, your own traditions, your own convictions of what you like and don't like, your, uh, your own upbringing, everything, right? We've, we've talked about for a long time how we have, to, we have to go back, whether we like it or not, what does the Bible say? And if you are unwilling in a, in a subject like patriotism to say, okay, hold on, set all of my preferences aside, what does the Bible say? If you're not willing to do that, then you are inconsistent with your worldview, And you are being hindered in your sanctification and you will be ineffective in your ministry. I also understand this will probably not be a popular message because uh, we we live in a military community. And um, I will discuss parts of the military. I'm I'm grateful for the military. I'll, I'll let you know I'm grateful to live in America. I do not wave an American flag. We had an American flag in our front and it is no longer there at our house. I remember doing a podcast with you, AJ. And I talked about my American sneakers, remember, yet? And how I I haven't worn those in a long time. Because I don't necessarily want to, you know, I'm not necessarily proud to be an American. I'm I'm grateful before you want to stone me um, for those who have given their lives in service. For those who have given their lives sacrificially for the freedoms, I, I'm, I'm good with all that. I, I am grateful. I have many family members who have served in the military. I have many friends who serve today. I don't think they're living in sin by any stretch of imagination. But America, what America stands for, how America acts, the laws in place in America, I want to pause before I start waving this American flag like we're the best country in the world. That's ridiculous. It's sinful. It's sickening. So I especially anticipate many of you military, many of you families of military, that this may not be the most popular. And um, I hope you heard the extent of what I said. I don't believe it's sinful to be in the military. I don't, I'm grateful for America. All that. I hope you heard all that before we, we dive in. All right, I want to give you a definition of patriotism. So you know kind of what we're working with from a world standpoint. And then I hope to show you the different arenas of patriotism this evening. A definition, and in your handouts, you'll, you'll have this tonight as, with your, your take-home. A definition of patriotism is the quality of being patriotic. <laughs> okay, so what does patriotic mean? It means having or expressing devotion. Think of that word. Devotion, that's a strong word. Devoted. I'm devoted to my wife. I'm devoted to Christ, right? Okay, so devotion is an interesting word. Having or expressing devotion to and vigorous support, energetic, enthusiastic support for one's country. Seems noble so far. Therefore, a patriot, by definition, a patriot is one who is prepared to defend his or her country against enemies or detractors. Now again, at face value, this sounds very noble. It sounds great. It sounds acceptable. 
a patriot prepared to defend his or her country against enemies or detractors. However, when it comes to ethics, morals, biblical standards, let me ask you a question. Would America consider the gospel an enemy? Just chew on it for a second. Would America consider the gospel, the radical gospel, the God says this is right, this is wrong, this is how you should live, this is my kingdom. Would, would America, con- if, if the gospel was to come into full force, and by the way, the gospel is trying to work its way b- via the means of believers into different atmospheres of like abortion. How has that gone when the gospel has faced abortion? Has that, is it an enemy of America? What about homosexuality? What about divorce? I mean, would the gospel be an enemy? And therefore, if the gospel would be an enemy in places that America would pick and choose, a patriot is one who is prepared to defend America against enemies. You see where I'm going with this? So this is, this is the ultimate, this is the extreme of what I'm trying to show tonight. That if you're going to be a patriot, if you're going to be patriotic, you need to have a biblical understanding of what is acceptable in patriotism and what is unacceptable. What does the word of God say about greed? How does that face up against America? About racism. About orphans and widows. Not, not, just the big, not just the big things. What does the gospel say about how we should treat the poor and the impoverished? How's America doing there? What happens when your American worldview and your biblical worldview are at complete odds? How do you respond in these moments? Because where you, how you respond will show where your allegiance lies. And, and let me just caution you, this, all, this won't always be in obvious ways, like being persecuted for reading your Bible. I think of, you know, what is happening in California right now. Like, that, that's an obvious way of where, oh, yeah, my Bible? You can't tell me I can't buy a Bible, read a Bible? No, I'm going to stand with the Word of God. That's, that's a little easier, honestly, than the subtle ways in which you tend to be more clinging to America, like political parties, Right, like convictions about the poor and the widows, and you see a person on the street, and your first thought is, that's a bum who just wants my money so he can buy alcohol or cigarettes. Screw him, I'm moving on. Th- that underneath is a cultural issue. That really is a-, a prejudice. You don't know. You want to say statistics seven times out of ten it is? That's fine. You don't know that person, and that's not a biblical Christian mentality. So I, I'm asking in the subtle ways... Where is our culture and our tradition radically moving like conversations or our money or our time, our politics? I actually believe that patriotism can easily be a form of racism. You know, Rudy talked last week on a biblical worldview of racism. There's been a lot of conversation about a biblical worldview of racism. And some people rightly mention that this isn't just a black and white issue in America. Racism goes far beyond our borders. I mean, if you think about even, if we were to take a poll in here about how you feel about immigrants, it would probably be a hostile conversation. Some people would be very convinced one way, others would be very in the middle, others would be very convinced on one end, right? Who's right, who's wrong? I'm just saying it's, it's something that will cause blood to boil. Racism goes far beyond just the black and white issue that is still existing in many areas and arenas today in America. We also have issues with how we treat people that are our enemies, of America. We're, we're unbelievably racist towards Muslims. We're unbelievably racist towards Muslims. Call them the enemies of the cross all you want. I agree. By the way, so are you. 
Right? So, so, but racism is, is broad, and, and patriotism is a way that we can cover up our racism. No, I'm standing up for America. I'm standing up for my country. They're an, they they want to come and kill us, so we're going to go and kill them. All right? That's intense. Right? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very culture-driven response. Maybe not a thought over, prayed over, sobering if this is the way we've got to go, man, I am in sorrow over this because these are people created in the image of God who are lost. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity is so easily defined, as I mentioned, even so subtly by our nationality, by our political party, and by our convictions that come out of those things. Our emotions are stirred by government, news channels, Newspapers. I, I could say Fox News and some people would go, Ugh. I could say CNN and others would go, Ugh. our emotions are stored. It can give us great joy. It can bring great fear and stress. It can so easily consume our minds and therefore affect our attitudes and our behavior. Before we know it, we are meditating on the law of Fox News day and night. Planted like a bush in the middle of a stream being rocked. By every turn falling down the waterfalls. I'm not, a plant, I'm not a tree planted by streams of water. I'm a bush floating, losing limbs down the waterfall. If I'm clinging and meditating on the word of CNN day and night. Before you know it, what's happening is you'll walk around with a political worldview. Intellectually, you may have a biblical worldview. Intellectually. But practically, behavior-wise, you're very politically driven. May I even suggest racially driven. Because patriotism is a form of racism in its extreme. Now, before I dive into the depths of, all right, what does the Bible say about the warning of this? Let me, let me talk to you about what the Bible says about the arena in which patriotism is acceptable. Because the Bible does clearly give examples of that. Not all patriotism is wrong. Indeed, God created the nations. Remember, he and it was... Part of his plan. This is how what was intended for evil, God uses for good. Think of the Tower of Babel. They want to be, you know, the Tower of Babel is one of my favorite stories. We could we could spend four or five hours tonight talking about the details and depths and different branches out of how God was sovereignly working in that. But you have these people who want to be like God. They want to get in the upper heavens, and God separates them into different tongues. And and now we have this scattering. We have tribes and nations even outside of Israel and those before with uh, Abraham and when. Him and lots separated. You got Sodom. I'm, ta- I'm talking a, a worldwide spread. Now we have nations. And what was the purpose, though? It was a very specific purpose because ultimately it was that God would receive glory by calling the nations back to Him. This is a gospel mindset. Look at Romans 13 and, and go in your Bible with me to Romans chapter 13. I want you to look at verses 1 through 7. Romans 13, 1 through 7 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Very practical application. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, so here we have a very biblical perspective of governing authorities. Being subject to those whom are in authority. And here we notice, we notice a few things. First of all, we notice in this text that God is the authority over the government. That's important because it does not say that the that government has the authority over God. God has the authority over government. Government. Secondly, we see that God instituted the governing authorities. This was God's idea. All right, government isn't inherently evil. God instituted it. Next, we see that the government. This is a. This is the purpose of government, though. This is where it starts to get a little shaky. The purpose of government is to be a servant of God. All right. Now we are starting to see more clearly where the sin is coming in. And fourthly, the government is to be an avenger of wrongdoing. And what Paul advocates here is, okay, God has authority over the government. He instituted the governing authorities and for two specific purposes. Number one, to be a servant of God. Number two, to be an avenger of wrongdoing. This is why government was instituted. Therefore, when these four things are taking place, we must be in subject to our authorities. That's what Romans 13 shows. When these four things are taking place, our response is, we are in subject to our authorities. This is true. This is where the acceptable realm of patriotism lies. However, the problem with not putting this passage in context historically as well in the realm of the whole Bible is that we can become great citizens, but poor Christians in the process. The context of this letter was during extreme persecution of Christians. Think about this. While, while Paul's writing this, the government is corrupt. And he's telling the citizens, subject to the authority. But he's telling them in a specific way. Because you also have to partner Romans 13 with the previous chapter, which says, repay no one evil for evil. And in the beginning it says, do not be conformed to this world. Right? So we're, we're within probably 30 verses of these things. So put the whole context. He's saying, look, you're in the midst of persecution. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may know what is accepting and pleasing God, the acceptable will of God. And then it talks about marks of genuine Christianity, how we act and live in the body, how we expose the deeds of darkness. And then we get to Romans 13, and he says, but be subjective to the authority. Because God has placed him there. Now, interestingly enough, the early Christians did not participate in things like in Rome like theater, music, sports, the games that were taking place. They were not, they were passive when it came to war and the military. They did not take political offices. Paul's not condemning them for these things. He, he argues that Rome's, don't, don't be a spiritual monk, okay? Don't remove yourself from the world. That's anti-gospel. We're, we're here to be a minister of reconciliation, Paul says in other letters we'll look at here in a second. He's not even saying that what you're doing, refraining from these things are bad, but he's saying don't go to the level where all of a sudden you resist and reject authority completely. God has put you in subjection under authorities for a specific purpose, and it is a gospel purpose, and we're going to talk about what that is. In, in fact, Jesus answers 
this question even more thoroughly. And many, many argue that in Romans 13, 1 through 7, Paul is simply rehashing what Jesus said in Matthew 22. So I want you to flip to Matthew chapter 22. The crux, believe it or not, of what Paul just said in Romans 13 leads to what? What are the final two verses talking about? Paying your taxes. Ironically, that's where he's leading in that Romans 13 passage. Be subject to authority. Pay your taxes. Jesus' question in Matthew 22, we're going to begin in verse 15. Follow along with me. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, this is Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So elicate, so noble, so humble. Not obviously I'm joking. Verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Here's what's interesting. Caesar is a governing authority. But do you remember point two of Romans 13, what it says about authority? Or point one, I'm sorry. God is the authority (laughs) over government. So when he says, render to Caesar what what is Caesar's, it all belongs to God. Right? Caesar belongs to God. It's actually, you're, you're obeying, you're giving to the Lord in such doing so. He, he's, he's so, uh, he's Jesus. I don't even need, he's Jesus. He's answering them and totally winning at this argument. But here's, here's what they're doing. This was a test that was given to Jesus. And, and what the Pharisees are thinking is either he will support taxes to Rome and therefore undercut his popular messianic support of the Jewish following. Right? Or he will challenge taxes and be like a revolutionary zealot, and therefore will be executed. If you remember, who was released at Jesus' crucifixion just before? Barabbas. And Barabbas was what? A zealot. He was a revolutionary. He was this Jew who was trying to rebel against Rome. This was a common thing that happened, especially in the intertestamental period, the Maccabees, all right, the rejection of Rome. And so it was like this pious movement. And Jesus would have been executed. But Jesus exposes their hypocrisy and reveals to them the depths of their current dual citizenship. This is important. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul, be subjected to authority. And render to God what is God's. God has authority. And ultimately, we subject to authority in governments in a sense, when they are acting under God's authority as servants of God. And indeed, many times they do because God is sovereign over that. But you also need to know the flip side because we are citizens here, but we are also citizens of heaven, as we'll talk about. And when Jesus was before Pilate and he was pressured about his Jewishness by Pilate in John eighteen thirty six, Jesus' response is not... I'm the king of the Jews. I came to set it up here. These are my people, only my people. Absolutely. When he was pressed pressed on this Jewishness, he says in verse 36 of John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And yet you see that even Jesus, when he says this, he's showing I'm not of this world, but he was in the world to save the world and reconcile the world to him. This is a perfect imagery of what patriotism should look like. Under God's sovereignty, I've been born in America. I'm an American citizen. God, that was no accident. God expects me to, in many ways, be this kind of patriot, where I will seek to support and subject under the authority, in as much as it acts under the authority of God. And the moment when Caesar tells me one thing and God tells me the other... I must choose God. In fact, he tells his disciples that this will happen to them and they will die. And the expectation is not that they cower and give in to government here so that their life can be comfortable, but the promise of your reward is to come. You are not of this earth. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Jesus came to this world to redeem a people for his kingdom. He was in the world, yet not of the world. That's an acceptable arena of patriotism. Now, I want to transition this into a very quick question before we get into the the crux in our final part of the evening. We don't have time to go into the depths of military and war tonight. We could have had it as its own week. Um, To be honest with you, I don't think that I am in a position right now to, to necessarily teach on that or, or speak on that, I, I, would meet, I would need much more prayer and, and time to be a little more thoughtful rather than reactionary in those thoughts. But I do want to address a few things that I have thought very carefully about, sought counsel and prayed over. Too often, we can look at war with the wrong motive and a sinful heart. War should break our hearts. You do realize that, right? Like even reflecting on old wars should break our hearts. Why should it break our hearts? Because over the course of time, millions upon millions upon millions, probably maybe even billions, who knows, the total number, I probably could have looked it up, have died Image bearers, people creating the image of God have died. I'm also hesitant, and this is is like the treading very lightly part, right? So don't, don't shoot me. It's also difficult for me to even rejoice about American one wars. Because America hasn't always been clean in the acting out of war. If you read the depths of some of the things that our patriots have done, it is sinful and disgusting. Forget if people deserved it or didn't deserve it. It's sinful and disgusting. There's a manner in which you do things and a manner in which you don't. Right? So there's a tendency. And, And let me also go a step further. And Just bear with me. Okay? Just bear with me. Every time I pray for God to protect my friend in battle, if he's hand-to-hand with somebody else, what I know is that I'm ultimately praying I'd rather him die. But what I know about my friend is he's a brother in Christ. And he's going to pass eternity in heaven. What I'm saying is this evil person who deserves to die, absolutely. We all deserve to die. Wrath of God. We've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Amen, right? But do you, 
what I'm asking you is you to be, you to be thoughtful about the entirety of what you're doing when you are actually verbalizing victory, when you're verbalizing prayer, when you're in conversation about what the enemies of America deserve or don't deserve. And then you should pause, we're going to talk about in a second, and take a step outside the box and look at your own country. That's, we're about to go there. So here's, here's, here's what I want to address. We should never jest about dropping bombs in the Middle East. We should never jest about the death of America's enemies. That's not a funny conversation. That's not something that's playful. I've been blown away by the coldness of Christians towards our new neighbors, our new Muslim neighbors. I've been blown away at so-called Christians' attitude towards Muslims in general. Blown away? But they killed thousands of people on 9-11. What do you expect? They're lost, sinful, depraved people. Bring the gospel to them, not a bomb. What are you doing? What are you talking about? Homosexuality is wrong. Kill the Muslims. Is that... Do you find that in Second Hesitations chapter 4? Is it in First Opinions chapter 2? That it's okay for us to talk and jest as if these idiots just deserve to die? Do you have that arrogant of a thought of yourself? We continue on. There's an underlying hatred. An underlying hatred that is spurred not from righteous anger, though you may try to call it that, but really a feeling of disgust and an elitist mentality. Americans have this elitist mentality. What it shows is that there's an allegiance to America and there's a hating of America's enemy rather than allegiance to the gospel. Because here's the reality. The gospel sees that these are depraved, wicked sinners who desperately need the same unmerited grace that you have received. You are no better than them. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, not every war was warranted or approved by God. Not all killing was acceptable. The only time war was affirmed or nation going against nation is when God in his sovereignty providentially ordained and instigated it. God is the ruler and the just judge. Proverbs 20 verse 22 tells us not to say I will repay evil but rather to wait for the Lord. 1 Peter 3 9 says do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. Romans 12 19 beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord. I'll make an even bolder statement. It's no secret that I'm, I'm reformed. All right. I'm a doctrines of grace kind of a guy who believes in the sovereignty of God. You want to know one of the biggest detractions of Reformed theology is? The arrogance of people. It's like this, I'm chosen and you're not. It's like all I want to do is talk about election. All I want to say, God choose, God choose, God choose. You know what? You know what? I literally will sob sometimes thinking about the reality of the doctrine that I know to be true in the scriptures. You want to know why? Because it means that there are some who aren't chosen, and that is terrible to me. I do wrestle with that. I wrestle with that to the extreme when I think about So now implement that into a patriotic mentality of people who are perishing. I don't rejoice with people perishing. Why would you rejoice with people perishing? And if you say it's because they are enemies of the cross... 
then let God be the one to do that on judgment day. And you don't know until they die, they may still come and repent and know Christ. They may be among the sheep. Don't act as if a living, breathing person is automatically not a sheep because of how they live. It's crazy to me. It's scary. There is a time where in our depraved, broken world, war is necessary. I affirm that. I agree with that. But it needs to be ordained and instigated by God, and our hearts should break over it. Our hearts and our motives must be checked biblically. Let me give you an example. Nazi Germany. Who in here would honestly say that they did not deserve that? We're talking killing what's estimated to be between 5 and 6 million Jews during the Holocaust. Somebody needed to act. Right? Absolutely. Somebody needed to act. I was right to act. However, if war, please listen to me, if war should happen based on the murdering of innocent lives, then America should have been attacked long ago. Five to six million, the same number as the Jews in the Holocaust, babies have died in the last five years from abortion. Ten times that many since 1973. Do you see the dilemma? If we were justified in attacking Nazi Germany for killing five to six million Jews brutally, brutally, should we not know and accept the fact that maybe we should be judged? Would it not be acceptable for a war against America for the 50 to 60 million babies in the last 35 years? By the way, that we've brutally murdered by starving or ripping limb from limb? Do do you see the dilemma? You, You can't wave a Nazi Germany should be destroyed flag and yet wave the American flag, which has killed 10 times as many babies. There's so much inconsistency there. What does the Bible say about this then? kingdom of God is a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-tribe, multi-tongued kingdom. Amen. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. They shall reign on the earth. How about Revelation 7, 9 through 10? After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. No one could number because it's as many as the stars in the sky you're about to see. And God said to Abram in that covenant, if you can even count them. A number that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne of the Lamb. Listen, if the kingdom of God is a multi-ethnic, multi-people kingdom, then racism and patriotism is a gospel issue. A huge gospel issue. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. Look back to the first covenant and promise given to Abram. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is not referring to Israel. 
In many ways, short term, it is. But you've got to see biblically. I want you to look then later at Genesis 17. This is God reminding him for the third time now, reminding him of this covenant. And in verse 3 through 8 in Genesis 17, it says, Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. This is not God giving Abram a gift of a nation and patriotism and nationalism. And it's going to be the Jews. This is what the Jews were rebuked for. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. Jesus came by the gospel to him after the prophets. And what has happened? They killed the prophets, turned the prophets away, crucified Jesus. And now the gospel goes to the whole world as it was intended to go. You heard last week, Rudy mentioned that Paul rebuked Peter and Galatians for going right back to the Jewish table and affecting others. Saying, true Israel are those who are born of the promise, not of the seed. It's an everlasting kingdom God is telling Abraham about. It's made up of many nations. Lest you just think that I'm imposing my own commentary, Paul says this about Abraham's call in Romans 4.13. He says the promise to Abraham and his offspring is that he would be heir of the world. That's Paul's commentary on Abraham's. Go to 1 Peter. Everybody turn to 1 Peter. It's after James. 1 Peter chapter 2. Begin in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This shows us that we have been called out of the world of darkness and segregation and racism into a holy nation which is made up of all nations. And in case you think that, again, I'm taking this verse out of context to fit my point about radical patriotism, look at the next three verses, verse 10 through 12. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as what? Sojourners and exiles on this earth to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Then he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Listen, do you know what the word for Gentiles here is in the Greek? Lest you think, oh, see, 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 it's Jew and Gentile. No, 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 no. The Greek word? Ethnos. Anybody know what that means? Nations. The Gentile here is not 
affirming a Jew and Gentile. It, it, the word is the nations. Specifically here, the heathens apart from Christ. Those in the nations that are not a part of God's holy nation. This is a believer versus non-believer issue. In other words, if, if you were to read David's paraphrase, David's commentary of these four verses, these three verses rather, four verses, yeah. It's saying this, dear Christian, you once did not belong to anyone. Now you belong to Christ. He has brought you into his holy nation, which is a people for his own possession. And he has done this by calling in people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Therefore, because God has done this to you, I remind you that you are an exile and a sojourner here on this earth. Your identity and belonging isn't here. Therefore, don't give in to the passions of the flesh, which are a result of clinging, clinging to your temporary identity on earth. You are not a people of this world. Therefore, in this world, keep your conduct among the nations honorable, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God by being found in him when he comes back. In other words, our evangelism and our mission's success will be greatly influenced by our conduct as exiles on this earth. Are wars necessary sometimes? Yes. Am I grateful for freedom? Yes. But I abhor the elitist mentality that often is associated with it. If you cling to your country as your allegiance... You will hinder people from seeing God's holy, eternal nation. This is not a secondhand thing. Radical patriotism and radical political devotion will hinder your, status, your sanctification. Let me say that again. Radical patriotism and political devotion will hinder your sanctification and it will hinder your effectiveness in the gospel. If you remember, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he reminds them that they are jars of clay, they're living in earthly tents, they belong to Christ in heaven. And then he goes on and says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Think about this. This is the role, this is true biblical patriotism. Defending the cause of whom I belong to. The kingdom that I belong to. Paul says it here. You want to be patriotic? Be patriotic to the holy nation. Be an ambassador for Christ. What's an ambassador? You know what an ambassador is. An official representative of a nation to a foreign country. An official represent, representative of a nation to a foreign country. Paul tells you, be that representative of my kingdom while you're here in a foreign country. When you read 2 Corinthians 5 be an ambassador for Christ, he continues and says that God is making his appeal through you. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 before we finish this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, also ethnos here, again, you nations in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, 
and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off in peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Look at this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You, you separate nations, Gentiles, ethnos, verse 11. You nations are no longer strangers and aliens. And, and he's not even talking only to God. He's talking to each other. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This shows that people outside of God's nation have no hope. But that hopelessness is not a characteristic of those who belong to God's nation. This is why you should not watch Fox News or CNN and have a panic attack. Because that's not a mark of a person who is in Christ. He's brought peace to us. He's brought Hope to us. How has he brought peace? Verse 14, he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He broke down the dividing wall of racism, the dividing wall of nationalism, the dividing wall of patriotism. That's the context of this text. Remember, you nations, once in the flesh, he's broken that down in Christ. There is no longer this nation, that nation, this race, that race. There's just one is his point. In Colossians, he said it this way, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, but we are one. How did he break it down? In his flesh, through his blood. In other words, he did this through the cross. So to live with a racist, patriotic, elitist mentality is ultimately to scorn the cross. Because Christ broke down that dividing wall of hostility through his blood on the cross, Ephesians 2 tells us. And he has reconciled us to God, verse 16, through the cross. So that we're no longer strangers and aliens to each other fellow citizens and members of the multi-ethnic household of God. In other words, in other words, I have more in common with a brother in Christ who lives in Iraq than I do with a non-believer in America. If you remember, again, 2 Corinthians 5, as we mentioned, he not only says you're an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal through you, but he says, just as you have been reconciled to God, God has called you to the ministry of reconciliation. Now pause. This is cool. Ephesians 2. God reconciled us to himself and to others through the cross. The ministry of reconciliation in Ephesians 2 is Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility, which ultimately is this nationalist, racist, elitist mentality. The two have become one. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, which he wrote later, he says, you... Just as you've been reconciled by Christ, you've been called to this ministry of reconciliation. 
You are now an ambassador for Christ. God's making his appeal through you. You belong now to the oneness of Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, remember Jesus in Luke 9.23, take up your own cross. Jesus' cross broke down the dividing wall of hostility and reconciled us to God and reconciled us to each other. You take up your own cross, deny yourself. Deny your nationalism. Deny your patriotism. Deny your racism. Deny your elitist mentality. And follow him. Take up your cross and be a minister of reconciliation. The call for believers to be in the world, not of the world, is that you cannot have this elitist mentality. It's anti-gospel. Nor can you withdraw yourself from culture or from the world because you are called to be a minister of reconciliation in the culture. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, do so in such a way that they will be able to glorify God when he returns. This is the purpose. That's patriotism. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm a minister of reconciliation. Immigrants welcome in the kingdom of God. You cannot do this ministry when you are narrow-mindedly clinging to your patriotism or your political party. You cannot do it. Paul warns them of this in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 through 12. You remember what he says? You are restricted by your own affections. This is in the context of what he just said. It's, it's the icing on the cake. You having a problem? Are you clinging to this world? You're not seeing the glory of God in the gospel? Are you struggling to be a minister of reconciliation? Are you struggling to be an ambassador for Christ? You want to know why? You're restricted by your affections. Many of you could tell me the biggest news on the headlines today, on the news channels. You could even probably remember the biggest issue in the media the last week, the last month. But if I were to ask you what you read in the Word of God this morning, if you even read this in, in the Word of God this morning, you would struggle to tell me a verse. You who can memorize sports facts, names, statistics, you can memorize lyrics, you can memorize the media and the positions, probably couldn't tell me what Pastor Jeff preached on this last Sunday. And what's ironic is that you want to know what, one of the number one reasons why people say, oh, scripture memory is hard for me. It's hard for me to sit for 48 minutes and listen to a message. I'm more of a visual learner. I've got ADD. Uh, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. It seems to me that those, don't, those only tend to be the excuses at work, at school, and at church. Have you noticed that? Really, is that affecting your ability to memorize songs? Really, is that, a, is that affecting your ability to memorize your favorite sports teams? Really, is that affecting your ability to be attentive and engaged in the things that you love? Get out of here! What are you talking about? You're restricted by your affections. What are you talking about? Don't give me ADD. Don't give me you have a hard time memorizing things. Don't give me that you're just a visual learner. What are you talking about? Let the Word of God expose the depths of... Of the, re- of the reality of your misplaced affections. That's the problem here. Can I ask us a question? How culturized or American do you think our churches have become? Do you think that should be in this sanctuary? 
Can I, can I ask you if that, forgive me if I offend somebody. Can I ask you if that flag should be offensive in here? Is the kingdom of God a kingdom of America? Are, are you aware of how America is unrepentant in their sin? Should, should, we, should we really have, do, do you know that it's like appalling? One of the rules of this is the corner of this flag. I'm, I'm not going to disrespect the flag in case anybody's about to lose their mind. But I'm about to prove a very big point about everybody who would lose your mind if I misrespected uh, the flag. It's wrong for this to touch the ground. And, and people in here would probably be up in arms if I did. You know what this flag represents? Okay, freedom. Okay, yes, we came. We appeared, uh, Puritans came over from England. You know what else this represents? About 60 million babies in the last 35 years that have been tortured and killed. You know what else this flag represents? Divorce. You know what else this flag represents? Homosexual marriage. You know what else this flag represents? It represents a five-year-old in school having the school district usurp the parents' authority to tell this kid, it's okay if you're a boy but you feel more like, more like a girl, forget your parents. America has now stepped in. Should the flag, is the flag a representation of the kingdom of God? I'm just asking a question. Is it appropriate for us to pledge to the American flag during vacation Bible school or Awana? Should we, should we honestly pledge our allegiance and our devotion to something that is wicked and corrupt? You do realize that if you didn't live in America, you would hate America, right? Everything that we say that's poor about every other nation, you do realize you live in a nation that's full of wickedness. Now, the, the good point here is that regardless of where you live, you should feel that same exact way. I'm not trying to pick on America, guys. I'm picking on the world. It's a sinful world. What I'm saying is you can't cling to something that is of this world. The Word of God is the Word of God. It is your standard for excellence, for what is right, for what is wrong, for your devotion, for your allegiance. It's unbelievable how people can be so upset. Let me go one step further. Let me go one step further. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick was upset about the way people are being treated. You can go into the depths of however you feel about what he did, what his stance, all that kind of stuff. But now we have an uproar of all kinds of Americans and even Christians because of disrespect of the flag. But wait a second. The NFL is full of sexual immorality and womanizing and competition and greed and power and arrogance. All things that go against the word of God, you never had a problem with any of those things. But the moment somebody goes against the flag, what? You want to be mad about the flag, be mad about the flag. But if you're going to be mad, be mad about the fact that you've got people who are living in disobedience to the word of God. Let's go one step further. Is it okay for you to make bold political statements? about a president who is as wicked as Donald Trump? Forget, listen, 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 hold on. Don't, don't shoot me, wait. Forget political parties. I didn't vote for Hillary either, okay? But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to wear a Donald Trump hat. I'm not going to support and wave a flag of a man who is clearly wicked, full of himself, is a womanizer, is so demoralizing, is anti-gospel, and Christians act as if he is Jesus himself bringing salvation to America and the world. What are you doing? 
What are you doing opening your mouth? You do realize that what you're doing in your patriotism, in your unbiblical patriotism, is you are hindering your own sanctification and you are hindering the effectiveness of the gospel. Now, no matter who we would elect, we we could elect John Piper himself in office and we would still have sin. Uh, So I'm I'm not trying to make it as if these people are like some horrible level. What I'm saying is, can you be careful and maybe examine your heart and see the depths of where your allegiances are lying? I told you, I, I told you I'd make you upset tonight. Look at the depths of your heart and, and ask yourself why you're upset. Am I offending your Americanism? <laughs> Am I offending your Republican Party? Am I offending your democratic worldview? Is that offensive to you in the church of God with the word of God? Is that offensive to you? Is heaven going to be made up of a bunch of Americans? Or on judgment day, are we going to look before the Lord and say, you know what, I wish I would have had a little more American in my service. I wish we would have shown a little more allegiance. I wish we would have been a little more political. (laughs) It's astonishing. And for everybody who would be quick to call out others about their own traditions and doctrinal views, etc., and not see the depths of your own prejudices and political allegiances is astonishing. Every single one of us should hold a mirror of the Word of God in our own lives, myself included. I told you there are subtle ways that patriotism as a form of racism will creep into your life. America is living in unrepentant sin. I can't, nor will I, wave the American flag. I love America. I'm grateful I live here. I'm not a rebel or committing treason, I don't think. But my allegiance isn't with the red, white, and blue. My allegiance is to Christ. Read the Old Testament and New Testament, people. Where is your identity? What stirs up your emotions? What stirs up your affections? We are being deceived by ignoring how deep our patriotism lies. The history and beginnings of America itself isn't as Christian as you may think. Aside from the Puritans, you know that the early leaders, people like Thomas Jefferson, that we throw this massive Christian flag, you know he was full of enlightenment thinking, rejecting the inerrancy and sufficiency of the word of God. You know that he was a deist? That he believed that there was a God, but he was inactive? The, the written law of America, the Constitution, okay, many biblical principles, but we're, we weren't birthed as a Christian, at least an evangelical Protestant Christian nation. We weren't. We, we honestly weren't. The Puritans were, were awesome. They're the bomb. But guess what? They didn't have the massive influences. You had the Great Awakening. You've got the Northeast. But ultimately, the, America's beginning is from an deist enlightenment thinking mentality. Particularly in the South, our traditions run so thick. I'm, I'm from the North, and look, we're rude and arrogant and rude and arrogant and loud. I get that. 
South has got its own issues, full of tradition. You know, it's like the, the Bible Belt. But you know what the Bible Belt is? Their allegiance to a political party. The Bible Belt is often, too often, a soft gospel that is built on conservative traditions that is all about their comfort in this world and in America rather than the gospel. I'm just, I'm just saying it how it is. You can disagree and write a bad review on what, something.com later tonight if you want to. That's fine. You don't even have to come back. I hope you do. But you do realize, especially in the South, you've got traditions that run deep. You've got people who are affirming all kinds of ridiculousness and political affiliations and laws and stuff that are nonsense for the sake of guarding traditions, not for the sake of being biblical. In fact, often, if you were to go into those churches, I preached at a church in Virginia that was a KJV-only church, which is fine. That's fine. King James Version is a fine version to read, okay? And I was told when I went to preach that I was not to use... uh, another version. Well, most of my memory has taken place in ESV, and when I preach, I often will, like, spout verses, and so I had to catch myself, like, a hundred times every time I want to spot a verse, because I knew it was going to be in the ESV, not the KJV, so it was exhausting. I, I, I preached what I knew would not be received well at a southern church. Doctrinal issues about the Bible, What's interesting is when that took place, I remember preaching, and there was some discomfort. Some, I didn't get invited back, I'll put it that way. But there wasn't like this big divide, but I did have a conversation later about politics. It was brought up with me, and things got hostile really fast. Isn't it interesting that they didn't really care about the doctrinal difference, but they did care about the political difference? Isn't that the truth in most places, most churches, most Christian environments today? I'll finish. I'll finish. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. This command given to us to be an ambassador and minister of reconciliation needs to pave the way of our daily lives. If you look at the gospel, we see that God created man in his image. He made the nations. He ordained governments. All of it is full of sin because we live in a fallen world. But God is redeeming and restoring this fallen world. He has commissioned us to be a part of that redemption, that reconciliation. Remember Ephesians 2. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That we are to be a part of breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. We are to be taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves and following him. If you are consumed by Fox News or political parties or you have a hatred towards America's enemies or if you're so easily stirred and affected by the horrors of this world and government and political issues that it ruins your day, changes your behavior and consumes your mind, then can I, can I suggest that maybe there is a sin problem that you need to deal with? Maybe you are being restricted by your own affections. I'll take one step further. If your patriotism or your political affiliation causes enmity between you and a brother or sister in Christ, there's misplaced affections and misplaced allegiance. You are at that point confused about your identity. You are one with that brother or sister in Christ. And patriotism and politics should never overpower that. I'm not advocating tonight that you should hate America. I'm not advocating that you should rebel or become like an American zealot. But I am saying, can you please not be maybe as proud as you are 
Can you maybe examine yourself? Can you maybe think about your words and your conversations and your jestings and how it's perceived, how it might be digging deep trenches in your own heart that you're not even realizing? Don't become a spiritual monk. John 17, he did, when Jesus prayed, he did not pray for the disciples to be removed from the world, but that the helper would come to them in the world. 1 Corinthians 5, when it says to re- remove the sexually immoral from the church, he says, I don't mean the sexually immoral in the world, because if you did that, you'd have to escape from the world. Look, we're part of this world. There's a dual citizenship that Jesus tells us that we have got going on. But you're an ambassador for the holy nation. You're subjecting to authorities under God's authority. So I want to summarize my challenge. I want to give you nine bullets. Don't worry, I'm not preaching on them. I'm just going to read the nine bullets. Here's your take-home application, my challenge, my exhortation to you. You ready? Number one, remember where your allegiance lies. And that is the multi-ethnic kingdom of God. Number two, pray that you would be honest in your heart. By the way, you're going to get this handout. So you'll get these handwritten down in case anybody was scribbling madly. Number two, pray that you would be honest in your heart of where there is racism, patriotism, and an elitist mentality. Number three, examine your life to see what is feeding those racist, elitist, patriotic thoughts. And cut it off. Do you remember when Rudy preached on pornography the first week? One of the things he said, he says, we need radical accountability. One of the things he says, we need radical amputation. In pornography, we say, look, if you need to get a dumb phone, get a dumb phone. If you need to not have a computer in your house, don't have a computer in your house. If you need to cut off the cable, cut off the cable. Radical amputation is necessary here. Why would we not see that as being applicable in every other sin? Can I suggest that if there are serious, racist, elitist, patriotic affections and allegiances in your heart, find out what is feeding it, and maybe you need to cut the cable. Maybe you need a dumb phone. Maybe you shouldn't have a Facebook account because you can't control your finger lips. Right? The tongue is evil, and so are your fingers. Fourth, would you pray that you would be an ambassador for Christ's kingdom? Five, would you pray that God would change your affections and what influences you? Six, would you pray that you would remember sermons and the word of God more than the news and sports and music? Seventh, would you pray for your government and your authorities? Eighth, would you pray for America and the nations to come to repentance? And nine, and finally, and this is probably the most humbling of the evening. Love your enemies because you too were once an enemy of the cross. We do have small groups tonight. Should be interesting. If you want to stay, I encourage you guys to stay. We've got five questions we're going to talk about. If there's something tonight that you want clarification on or you disagree or, or there's a Bible verse that rung in your head and you're going, Eep, you know what? I get what you're saying, but you're wrong. Come to me. I, I care very much about being biblical rather than being right in my own regard. So I welcome that thought. We've, we've made that clear all semester. Let's pray for one another. I'm going to close this in prayer. And if you'd like to stay for small groups, you're more than welcome to come up and make a circle. What's going to happen in the meantime is that I'm going to have Herb in the back. And when you leave, you can take home one of these double-sided notes and recaps.
Any questions for tonight? Father, pray that you would soften hearts, open eyes, including myself, to the truth of the gospel. Help us to be patriotic, willing to defend at any cost your word and your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.